Hello and welcome to another episode of a Simple Path to Wellbeing podcast. My name's Paul Garrigan. And today I'm going to be talking about a book called A Short Path to Enlightenment. And it's by Paul Brunton, who, who I think died in, in 1981. Uh, but I found this book, I, I don't read as much kind of spiritual stuff as I used to. I mean, I can go weeks and months and not have any real um, interest in it. And the only one of the main reasons when I do go back, it, it's more to get you know ideas for how to help clients. I was obsessed with these kinds of books for years and years. You know, just desperately seeking for an answer. But once that seeking fell away, the need to to read those books fell away. I mean, I found what I was looking for. But with this book and books like this book, and there isn't actually that many, there, it's not so much about learning anything new. It's hearing people, you know, share their experience of what I call stillness. And he, he uses the word stillness sometimes. Sometimes he uses, he uses other words, like he uses void or over self. Um, and, and they all kind of, for me, mean the same thing. And just hearing people talk about that, I just, I just, I just, it's just, it's just like meeting a, a good friend, someone who understands. But this book, uh, The Short Path to Enlightenment, one of the things he talks about, which I think is important, is the difference between the long path and the short path to what he's referring to as enlightenment. I mean, I, I don't care too much about words like enlightenment anymore. To me, the whole thing was about well-being, about finding the, the peace that I was looking for, you know, that started as a young child. And I don't care what that's called. I don't, to me, it's just this peace that, that, that once I had it, that seeking fell away. But he, what he's saying is, and this is my experience well, as well, is that there's basically two paths. There's a long path and a short path. Now, most practices and the practices I engaged in, like Vipassana, the... The, the, you know the loving kindness practices the you know all the imaginal work idea that all of that is actually part of the long path and this is not to degrade it in any way it can be absolutely crucial but it's it's the, it's the long path and that the long path eventually leads if if we're fortunate enough maybe it leads to the short path which is just sitting and being stillness and that the only the only reason for the long path really is to get us to a point where we're able to recognize that stillness and to recognize that stillness as as the as the teacher so one of the things he quotes one of the things he says the short path it, it is in essence the ceaseless practice of remembering to stay in stillness now he talks about there, there's danger of of jumping to the short path too soon. I mean, it, it, it's, there's no real, there's no real. Um, it's not a shortcut. There isn't like there is no way to shortcut this because until until we recognise that stillness, and and start to understand the the importance of it and how wonderful it is, we can't really get you know very far with that path. So another thing he says, one thing about the short path, 
which must be firmly impressed on the student's mind is that its success depends on how much love for its objective a man brings to it. If he has ever had a moment's glimpse of the over-self and has fallen more deeply in love with it than anything else, he will be able to fulfil the basic requirements of all short path techniques. But without such wholehearted attachment, he is sure to fail. So that's it. Like he, he says, that he uses the word over-self in there. But it's, just, it's not only the, getting a glimpse of that stillness it's to start to to adore it to 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 fall in love with it so in, in my own experience my own kind of path to stillness well the way it worked for me was i kept on trying everything else i kept on going back to the long path to do different techniques to try to overcome my suffering but eventually they would they would fail me and I'd be left with no technique and I'd be left with no means of escape. And the only place to go was back to stillness. That was the only thing that was left. And that's what, you know, happened for, for years that I, I you know, I would do these different things to try to overcome my suffering. But it always brought me back to, to the stillness. And then what eventually changed is it just became too painful to leave the stillness. But it's that journey until you until we kind of rec- recognize the significance of the stillness, which often comes, you know, I, I, I for me, there was no easy way to do it. I got there through failure. There was nothing particularly uh, glorious or wonderful about my path. It was it was a it was a path of constant failure. But luckily, the failures always brought me back to stillness. And I had many glimpses of that stillness. I mean, it's before it actually, the importance of it really hit me. And, and that's, that's the strange thing that we can actually, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd experience things like cessation and stuff like that, which are kind of in, in meditation. And, you, you know, I, I would have thought that just experiencing something like that would be all that was needed. But really what was happening is I was looking in the wrong direction. I was always kind of looking away from the stillness at the outside world. And that was a that that proved to be a a, a real obstacle for me. So the real the 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 purpose then of these long pat techniques is, in my experience, is to help us clear all the all of the uh, obstacles that are in the way of experiencing stillness. And, they, and there can be many. And, you know, I just spent a lot of time doing Vipassana. I had to do, spend a lot of time, years, like doing the, the loving kindness practices and just learning how to, how to basically relax in the beginning. When I teach, I, I teach in a rehab. And what I do there is I, you know, because there's, there's up to 30 people or more and some of them have never even tried meditation or mindfulness, I have to you know, give everyone more or less the same thing. So we'll go through, you know, we'll, some people stay for a month, some for three months or longer. So we'll kind of move through a syllabus of different kind of meditation techniques. But when I'm working with individuals, it's not like that at all. I, I try to figure out where they're stuck and recommend practices from that long path that will help them overcome until eventually it all leads to this, this same point of just being able to sit in stillness and then become stillness. The, the first part is to become aware of the stillness. 
And then it's to be that stillness, to, to recognize that deep down that's actually what we are. Um, or at least that's a way of describing it. I, I don't want to make any claims to get into philosophy. I don't think that's important, but that's how I experience it. Uh, it's like in the core of me, there's this stillness. And, and, and that's that's where you know it's, it's seeing life from there. And then what happens is it's just this you know incredible peace inside and, and, and everything outside of that just appears almost dreamlike a lot of the time. One of the problems with the with, with the long path that he he points out is that you know we can it's so easy to get stuck there and it can become very dissatisfying. So this is what he says. The man on the long path reaches a point where he tends to overdo its requirements or to do them in an unbalanced way. He is then too self-conscious, too much ridden by guilt, oscillating between indulgence and remorse. Only with his efforts, only when his efforts seem to be futile and his mind to be baffled, only when he gives up in exhaustion does he give up the tension which causes it. Then, relaxed, spontaneously released, the gate is at last open for grace to enter. In its light, he may see that one sense he had been running around in circles because he had been running around inside his own ego. He goes on to say later on, When he has reached this stage, he will begin to understand that his further spiritual progress does not impose special acts such as disciplinary regimes and meditation exercises. Excellent and necessary those these were in, the, in their place as prepara- preparatory work, but requires him, him simply to stand aside and be an observer, witness of life, including his own life. So again, the, the meditation practices, they're, you know, some people, and I find myself, you know, I still do them just because I like being still, but they're not the end game. The end game is, is peace. And once we kind of really experience that peace, once we start to really experience that stillness what we're doing may not look much like meditation because we're basically doing it all the time the stillness becomes you know from the the, the point from which we're, we're experiencing the world and then yeah i mean i'm very drawn to being still and i find myself very drawn to it and of course you know sometimes i sit cross-legged or whatever but that in no way is necessary you don't have to be in any particular posture I mean, one thing about, you know, sitting and, and being quiet is, is you, you can sort of uh, luxuriate in it more, I suppose. But even that becomes, becomes less and less important as time goes on. I think, you know, the luxuriating in it, yeah, it's nice and it's important, but sometimes it's just, it's, it's almost like um, a fear of abandonment. I mean, we have this fear that somehow the, the stillness could disappear, maybe. Like, we feel like that in the beginning, so we want to kind of keep on checking it's there until we're, we're reassured and, and, and kind of can see, well, it can't go anywhere else. Like, more to that, what he was saying about the, the long path and, and this kind of obsession with technique and obsession with, you know, I had this, this idea that I needed to meditate for 10,000 hours. And, you know, for years I was meditating five up to five hours or more a day. Which, I mean, I'm not, I don't regret any of it. It, it, was, uh, it was, you know, some wonderful things happened, but it was just so desperate. <laughs> um, 
So one of the things he says, you know, for the ego will always be able to find ways to keep the aspirant busy in self-improvement, thus binding him to the fact that the self is still there behind all his improvements. So all of these self-improvements, these, te- these attempts to, to, to escape the ego are being driven by the ego. And it's the recognition of that. And also speaking to that, you know, how am I doing? Paul Brunton writes, The aspirant who frequently measures how far he has advanced or retrograded upon his path or how long he has stood still is seeking something to be gained for himself, is looking all the time at himself. He is measuring the ego instead of trying to transcend it altogether. So this sense of how am I doing, that's just a game the ego plays. And eventually it's about leaving that game and not care how we're doing. It's irrelevant in stillness. All of that stuff is irrelevant in stillness. There's no, you can't um, improve stillness. There's no grades to it. There's no way to make it better. You know, if, if our goal is self-improvement, you know, the, the, the stillness is a very hard lesson because it's completely irrelevant. It cannot be improved. It cannot be extended or anything. It cannot be deepened or anything like that. So I just thought I would share that with you today. Um, I'll, I'll, I will leave a link to his, his notebooks, Paul Brunton, if you want to check those out. If you would like to do some coaching with me, I'll leave details for that as well. You can just contact me. So thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you again.